five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. We are the People Movers, and we are back with sad news. Our favorite company, Honda, is leaving Formula One after just a little bit. Porsche celebrating 70 years in the U.S. Polestar 2, all of them being recalled for a rather serious issue. And McLaren sneaking in yet another one slotted in their already magnificent range. But first, the most important question of the day. Jason, how are you? I'm wonderful, Brian. How are you today? I'm spectacular. I'm glad we're getting to record and get to talk about all this exciting stuff. The first one, exciting in a drama kind of way. If you follow Formula One, you like that kind of thing. But really sad. Um, Honda you know, came back not that long ago into Formula One. Um, in 2000, uh, excuse me, in 2016 or 17. Um, but they haven't been back that long. Um, either way, they just recently, you know, stepped up to the plate for Red Bull and Toro Rossi, who had a really messy split from Renault in, uh, 2018. And now they're already saying, sorry guys, we're out in 2021. Yeah. It's a sad end to the 2020 season of formula one yeah. with the end of Williams as a private team. Oh, yeah. And now with Gosh. Honda leaving again, it's like all of our childhood, you know, things are being relived in a negative way. It is um, sad. It's sad. I think it would be sadder with Honda leaving if their return to F1 was as successful as it was in the eighties and nineties, you yeah. know, because let's be honest when they came back, you know, the, the talk around McLaren Honda was, dude, I was, Buzzing. I, was, I drank yeah. all the Kool-Aid. I was so on board. And then they became literally a backmarker overnight. So, yeah, I mean, they did their car, their Red Bull cars did fine. They're competitive. Um, I will say, no. go on. Oh, I was say they did get much more competitive later on. You know what I mean? But when they first came back, oh, they yeah. were almost but, uncompetitive. But like you said, was, though, that was expectations being set very high. You know, that was being yeah. set back like we would, like naturally, the former pairings, the glory days. But <laughs> yeah, we all, we all had images of, you know, Marlboro McLarens dancing in our heads, and it just wasn't to be. No, you know, it was so. not. But either way. You know, they are leaving, but that's the big news. They're leaving. That leaves a big gap. There's only going to be three, count them, three engine manufacturers in Formula One going forward. So who do you have left now? You have uh, Renault, Ferrari, obviously, Renault. And... and I'm not sure off the top of my head. Mercedes, I guess. Oh, yeah. Mercedes, duh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. That's, wow, um, that's, that is sad. <laughs> that's I, really know. uninspiring as far as a competitive standpoint because Renault is pretty much one of the only ones. For, I mean, Ferrari outsources their stuff too. It's just the price of it. I mean, you know everybody's going to end up with a Renault basically. Yeah, Renault or Mercedes. Mercedes does a lot of customer stuff too. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, dude, either way, I just think that's a bigger blow than people realize going forward. But, you know. I think the biggest problem with that is, as you know, like when you're buying engines off of Mercedes-Benz, you know, as a Formula One constructor who doesn't build their own engine, basically what you get is last year's Mercedes engines. Right. You know, they're not giving you the same thing that Lewis Hamilton's driving. No. They're giving you the one that he drove last season, or two <laughs> seasons ago even. Yeah. So it kind of skews the competition, Well, it pretty right? much guarantees you that you're going to have a tiered, terrible couple teams, decent oh. couple teams, and then the ones that are competitive by razor's margin. And that's honestly what's gotten so miserable about Formula One. Yes. I mean, not, I don't want to beat the drum again on Williams, no, but, is. you know, they used to be, you know, a top tier team and they were basically, I feel, pushed out by like the I, manufacturers. I 100% you know agree. I mean, because, 
you know, we looked at it and they used to win based off of, you know, their technological advantage. It wasn't, they were spending more money. It was just, they were developing better cars, but now that you can buy all those things from everybody else and there's a lot of sharing information and then just straight up the fist of money has come on yeah. the equation. I mean, more than anything, it's sad because teams like Williams, they don't stand a chance. I mean, Haas has kind of overperformed for how small they are. I mean, not like in a way where they're like winning championships like Williams did, you know, back in the day. But I just don't see another one of those teams popping up. And that's just really sad. I remember in the early 2000s, you know, everybody's Formula One budget's a big secret. Nobody knows how much teams really spend uh, outside of the teams themselves. And I remember reading a thing that was saying that if the average team in the early 2000s spent $15 million to operate their team, they were saying Ferrari was estimated to spend $50 million. And that was back then. At that time. Yeah. That's... I mean, there would be just from a dollars and cents standpoint, though. I mean, somebody spending that much more money. Yeah. Than you, it's like it's tough to compete with that. In yeah, how do, how you, do you stand a chance? And yeah. Well, and especially when today it's so regulated that a lot of it does come down to arrow or just that next little push, which is normally boiling down to money and innovation and having the right people. So, I mean, at the end of the day. You know, Ferrari should be winning year after year, but Mercedes is, I mean, as they should, because they're also one of the big players. But yeah, I don't see those small, great stories coming back. And that's really, really sad. I mean, we would love yeah. to see it, but I don't see that way forward. Um, I think Formula One's rock and roll days are kind of behind yeah, it at this point. So. I was just going to say, you know, not that we have to move on from that right yet, but I was going to say, do you think this is the end of like those glory heydays of Formula One? You're going to be down to three motor manufacturers you know, two of which are clearly King Supreme. I mean, do you really see this ever turning like fully around into the spice where you have those kind of storylines? I don't think so. I mean, th we know yeah. historically this happens with racing, you know, as far as sponsors leaving or manufacturers pulling out or, you know, them becoming too dangerous like Group B, you know, it could happen for Formula One. I think people always like it, like NASCAR, but... Yeah, the problem is I think uh, Formula One is just less relevant now than yes. it's ever been. You oh, know, yeah. I, I don't want to be that guy because I still love, you know, the, you know, the yeah. mystique of Monaco Grand Prix and stuff, you know. And saying? driving the hyper but, rarest, you know, scariest thing at those speeds. Yeah. Yeah. And but at the same time, I, I definitely feel like to the average person, Formula One is kind of a. Oh, yeah. A bygone thing. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, you know, if you want to go play vintage for the weekend, you watch Formula One almost in this country, I should say. You well, know, I, mean, I, I agree with that. Well, moving on from Formula One to a company that doesn't compete in Formula One, but has pulled out of many race divisions in the last couple of years, Porsche. Porsche, uh, one of our favorite. Yeah, we love Porsche. We're celebrating, actually, Jason. You know, we're actually celebrating. We're, we're very excited. This fall, you know, this would mark Porsche. Being in the U.S. for 70 years, 70 years, they've been imported years. and My sold goodness. into the U.S. They started at one little importer in New York, and that's, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, imagine if you were that person that had the smarts to go, you know, I'm going to take a chance, you know, to really get this going. Um, on this funky little rear engine German yeah. car. Yeah, <laughs> so they found one importer in New York by the name of Max Hoffman. He, you yep. know, he had basically committed himself to a crazy task at that point, and he basically the entire Porsche brand success. I mean, really, there's no way to understand. It's it it down to that man, Max Hoffman, to spread yep. the word and make the Porsche cool. And we're talking three, five, sixes. You know, people at this time, 1950s. Yep, that's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, really, that is incredible. I mean, what an undertaking. I mean, and truly, 
this guy, I mean, he killed it. He said, if I can sell five a week, I'm not interested. Eventually, they agreed on a U.S. import contract of 15 cars per year to start. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty... (laughs) That's pretty wild. Think, think how, what a tough sell that would be at that point in time. Yeah. You know, would you buy for a premium too? They weren't cheap cars then no. either, either. You know, a car that you've never heard of, that you don't know if you can get parts, but from <laughs> one place in New York. I mean, yeah. nobody knows how to work on it. I mean, no. you were the bravest guy for well, miles around if you bought a Porsche then. Well, you know? statistically, it wasn't burning it down. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a clear dominator, but that's what it's saying here. It says... It started to gain, you know, gain traction a couple of years in, mainly due to great advertising. One of the yeah. adverts for the three five six said, "One of the world's most exciting cars." Just straight up, it's fantastic. Yeah, one of the world's most exciting cars. Well, and the three five six, you know, was campaigned for years. You know, I mean, well beyond its production life in in sports car racing. You know, in SCCA and stuff like that. And so, I guess yep. that's where they really. Well, I actually read an interesting Porsche statistic today. They were talking about. Um, you know, how much the company's changed over the last 70 years. And Porsche has always been known for its sports cars, obviously, you know, oh, yeah. over that 70 year lifespan. And uh, a lot's changed in 70 years because I was reading about like what their biggest sellers are now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of, it was definitely abysmal. I mean, I get everybody has to keep the lights on, but uh, <laughs> the top three were the Cayenne, then the McCann, and then the electric one, the the Taycan, the I Taycan, guess, is how yeah. you say that. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, that's why they built it. They knew they had a market. Yeah, I was thinking how sad it is though that it's not all 911s and I mean, portion no. in the 80s, 911s, 928s, you know, 944s. I mean, it was. Oh yeah, was there was nothing not, for mom and dad there. No, there <laughs> really know? wasn't. But that's the thing, though. That's what you know. It's what makes this so humbling and interesting. You know, it's saying in 1954, after those kind of adverts, you know, they kind of bumped up to 11 cars per week going out through Hoffman. Per week, That's so fifteen insane. per year, eleven, yeah, you know, eleven right there, equaling thirty percent of annual Porsche production at that point. Wow. Yeah, so really starting to kick butt. And then it says in nineteen sixty-five, the final year of the three five six, U.S. shares of Porsche sales had risen to a massive seventy-four point six percent. So you could almost say the that u.s is responsible point, yeah, was, for yeah. building the nine eleven, if you will. I mean, that's a ballsy statement. But, I mean, is that not that inaccurate? That's not an inaccurate statement. But I feel like that's almost what car makers are doing with, like, China. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Like, it's an emerging market. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what the U.S. was at that point, like, after World War II, you know? Oh, definitely. You had new people with new, you know, some new money or whatever trying to, you know, get their lives going and in a different direction. I mean, but think of that, Jason. That's really fascinating. I mean, you really could make that argument. The success of Porsche coming to the U.S. in the 50s is really what led to the 911 growing and doing all that. I mean, 75%, 75% of their sales. Just think how cool was the guy who walked in oh, man. a Porsche dealership in 1966 and bought then unheard of 911 instead oh, yeah. of going and buying a Corvette or a Chevelle well, well, or talk a Camaro about or anything. Traction, we're saying that in you know they said it started the agreement started in 1950, um, of course, because it'll be 70 years. But you know they they were doing the 11 cars per week four years into it. So just a mere 15 years into it, though the final year, you know, 1965, so pre 911. Right there on the cusp of it with the three five six inning, that's when they went from thirty percent, you know, in nineteen fifty four to seventy five percent. I mean, year over year, they were gaining, you know, sixty seven percent of the company's share. That's wild. What a gamble, Max Hoffman, absolute legend, bringing Porsche to the U.S. <laughs> and then also too, just 
way to go all those guys and gals out there that you know literally said i will swing on that because that's a big one at that time that was kind of an unknown well, and it makes me wonder, I mean, I don't know, you and I are of a certain age where Porsche's reputation was already cemented, you know, by the time we yeah. were children, you know, I mean, in through either Group C racing or endurance car racing, stuff like that, you know. Um, but it makes me wonder, you know, I mean, for most people, were they even aware of Porsche in the sixties, Yeah. you know, if outside of like people who are into sports car racing or was it until like the seventies when they really had success on the world stage, you know, at Le Mans and stuff like that, where they became more of where I'm, so it kind of makes me wonder, you know, it I really mean, does. they were a pretty obscure brand, I think for most people at that point. So in my opinion, I'd point to this, it's saying that once the speedster came out, you know. James Dean kind of popularized that. They're saying it also oh, okay, attracted yeah. a lot of attention with its lower price tag um, of twenty nine ninety five, so lower. It was based on the three five six America Roadster, um, but they were saying that really popularized it in California. That it was a huge boom in California because of that. Um, that's really interesting. And then, do you know, Jason, where the very first Porsche cars North America was established? I mean, now there's one in Atlanta and L.A very first uh, i was gonna say new york because of right they're max Ger hoffman. right max hoffman and they're german and they research no we'd be wrong reno nevada 19 september 1st 1984 porsche cars north america was established officially in reno nevada <laughs> so how about that nevada's nevada's a good tax haven so. that is a great tax haven so that's probably why they went there smart <laughs> germans smart germans but either way um that's pretty wild I, I really point directly to that popularizing a couple of the cars but good for the u.s for actually doing something right and picking a good car there you know for decades <laughs> cementing a winner yeah yeah um so yeah either way um that's pretty dang interesting to me 70 years strong but i did not know they ever dominated sales numbers like that but either way Moving on from Porsche being here and staying here till the end of time, we have the Polestar 2 from Volvo. We are, we've been loving all things Polestar, mainly from a design perspective and then also building interesting looking electric vehicles that are reasonable, a little more reasonably priced and just normal instead of like missiles or just, you know, specific luxury cruisers. But either way, Jason, kind of sad. Did you see there's a pretty big software glitch in this right now? Yeah, I did. Um, it's more than pretty big i mean you saw the scope of that recall did you not yeah i did um we we saw all of them are supposed to be recalled apparently there's <laughs> a software glitch <laughs> yeah apparently there's a software glitch that's causing people to lose power and the vehicle to come to a stop just straight up die um at speed um so that's pretty bad they've already sold 2189 of them and they've already had several occasions of these and people reporting them so that's pretty spooky. I mean, it, but let me ask you something in the spooky category, Jason. What's spookier? That, okay, right? Or I saw a story the other day, well, my flight was delayed, I was in the airport, of a Tesla Model Y that these people took delivery of and the entire glass roof departed right when they entered the freeway. So what's, what's spookier? The software well, or the if roof? If I have to choose something to happen to my shiny new electric car, I'm going to have it spontaneously turn into a convertible rather than quit powered when i'm on the freeway at 90 miles an hour you know yeah i i, I agree i'm gonna i'm gonna take it turn it into a convertible no question I, I saw the tesla too and you know there's been so many complaints about build quality from tesla i wasn't surprised when i saw that but the the polestar thing did surprise me though i'm not gonna lie um and then it also made me feel 
a bit uh, of a sense of foreboding for forecoming electric cars. I was just thinking, is this what we have to look forward to at our car future is software updates and what have you? You know, yeah, it definitely didn't bode well. My wife and I were in a good laugh at that. But well, I'm telling you, the electric car future is bright, but I don't know if it's going to start with these couple cheap models, but we'll see more going forward. And on that note, we're going to have to call it and wrap it up here on the People Movers. I am Brian, as always, with my brother Jason. Join us next time as we talk about McLaren. They're always filling out their range. They have a new hybrid V6 electric coming in there, their first one, and they have the 765 LT can't get enough of them so we'll be on that but do as we always recommend be good to one another and chase the things that move you